0: Welcome to the ATLE Podcast, where we share information about ATLE activities, host roundtable conversations on relevant topics, and offer interviews with key stakeholders and guests from around the world. On this episode, we talk about IT culture, outdated beliefs, and a decade in review. I'm your host, Nicole Lacusta, and so glad you could join us. You can check out our other podcasts as they become available on the website atle.ca and on Twitter at at atlealberta. I just came across this article from the Enterprises Project, which is an online publication and community that is focused on connecting CIOs, and Senior IT Leaders with the Who, What, and How of IT-Driven Business Innovation. So get right into it because this article is really interesting and we'll combine it with a decade overview from an Alberta perspective as well. The title is IT Culture, 10 Outdated Beliefs to Banish in 2020. While I'm going through this, I'd like you to really think about what do you notice about the 10 outdated beliefs? What do you wonder? And is there something that you would change or update or maybe eliminate from this list? This was a compilation between CIOs and CTOs that share IT culture misconceptions that are holding some IT organizations back. It's not just educational, it's all IT. We know a new year is upon us. People always like to reflect on their accomplishments or like to set future goals, How is life different in the IT world than it was 10 years ago? What have you learned and what were you doing back then that seems unimaginable in the here and now in 2020? Let's take a look. Number one, great engineers can get away with anything. Toxic work cultures and toxic employees are workplace productivity killers, they say. However, we are still tolerating these behaviours as an industry. What certainly didn't work last decade was tolerating toxic behaviour because it was coming from 10x engineers. However, the net negative of those behaviours clearly removes any benefit the toxic employee provides. The truth is that companies that seek out these toxic behaviours and eliminate them will most likely see an increase in retention and productivity. Number two, soft skills are nice, but hard tech skills reign supreme. Technology and culture are inextricably linked and technology teams need to reinvent themselves over time in order to stay relevant. Inevitably, there's an amalgam of diversity and personalities that enable a group to function at a high level. And you need a culture that has a degree of humility and self-awareness. Really great teams have team members who know who they are and who they're not. And they know when to get out of the way and let other team members make contribution. Positivity is also a key to a team's success. Because no matter how much we think we've got things figured out, we haven't really got things figured out. You need to have a culture that lives by positive principles such as honesty, respect, and fairness, even when it's not easy to do so. Negative leadership styles based on critique and criticism don't get the best out of people and don't breed loyalty. You'll only get the best out of people when you do things in a positive way. Number three. IT is for antisocial people. The perception that IT workers and or jobs are not social and are best suited for antisocial individuals really irks me, says Warren Perlman, CIO of Ceridian. I believe we lose a great many talented candidates because of this common misconception. Truly, we know IT jobs are well-suited for people who are passionate about the technology industry, regardless of their social patterns. Number four, you can outsource almost any IT work to save money. While some technical work can be sent offshore successfully, there is a lot of joint business IT work that requires close collaboration and exploration. IT staff and business staff need to work together and stay in sync making it very difficult to successfully send this work offshore, says Matt Mead, CTO of SPR. Number five, the customer is probably doing something wrong. One pet peeve that Jason James, CIO of NetHealth, has is when technologists get instantly frustrated with users and automatically assume they did something wrong or aren't, following instructions. Patience is not only a virtue but a requirement in IT. Issues occur and IT organizations must be customer-centric in order to build effective partnerships with the business. Shadow IT can occur when users feel they are not getting the support they need out of their own IT departments. Number six. Bias is a part of life in IT. Robert Reeves' biggest pet peeve is seeing non-white, non-male employees get counseled on behavior that their white male counterparts engage in. If I am pushy and difficult in a meeting, he says, I'm considered a disruptor or an iconoclast, a woman or person of color that does the same thing, and those people are viewed negatively. I'm certainly not going to stop being pushy or difficult, but I would very much like to see the same standard applied to all team members, not just the privileged. Number seven, most senior IT leaders are male. Warren Perlman, CIO of Ceridian, says, I hope women will be better represented in tech roles, especially at senior leadership levels. While there has been great progress, there is much work to be done to achieve gender parity. Organizations like Hashtag Move the Dial, a global movement driven to advance the leadership of women in tech, help bring a voice for diversity within the tech industry. According to the National Center for Women and Information Technology, Women employed in computing and mathematical occupations has consistently hovered at about 25% since 2007. In order to change this, IT leaders need to encourage more women to enter the field and champion their successes once they are in their roles. Number eight, IT is separate from the business. Paul Chapman, CIO of Box says, A few of my main pet peeves are the ideas that shadow IT is always bad and that the cloud is less secure and that business functions believe they do not need IT and can make their own independent decisions on technology. It is frustrating that we always use the term IT and the business. It implies that IT is not part of business and is instead a second-class subservient function. Number nine, IT needs to stay focused on tech. Matt Mead, CTO of SPR says it's important for IT culture to adopt a big picture mentality. IT staff need to understand how their work fits, in and affects the company at a macro level. They will do better and their deliverables will perform better if they have both a technical and macro level understanding of the projects they are working on. And finally, number 10, failure should be avoided at all costs. Rob Zuber, CTO of Circle CL, says I always say that the learning is in the failure. I think most people want to go back and save themselves from their mistakes. But if I hadn't made all the mistakes that I've made in my career, I don't know that I would be able to do my job right now. We talk about this a lot on my team. The failures are important, but the key thing about failures is reflecting on them, not dwelling on them. Because in every failure, you're going to learn something. Just enjoy the ride because it's going to be messy but that's how you learn. Now let's switch to some decade of reflections from our ATLE board members and ATLE ProLearn committee members. The introductory section was written by executive director, Doug Dietz. As the calendar turned into 2020, my mind immediately turned to the question, What changes have we seen in K-12 education due to technology evolution over the past decade? I decided to pose the question to ATLE board members and members of the ATLE ProLearn Committee. While not intended to be exhausted, here are some reflections. In 2010, teachers around the province were excited to have shiny new smart boards in their classrooms. An amazing classroom presentation software at their fingertips. For the first time ever, students could interact with anything projected from a teacher computer. It was really life-changing. Out of the VHS tapes and DVDs and in with YouTube. We finally had student devices, even if it meant that there was a whole class watching one student at a time go up and do something on the smart board. We were in technology heaven. Today, smart boards themselves are still somewhat relevant, but not nearly as much as the newest versions of the software. I'm blown away that only 10 years later, students have access to devices where each child can interact with a smartboard lesson simultaneously. We've moved from one user device in the classroom to devices for everyone. Another reflection. As I reflect over the last decade in technology at our jurisdiction, several things jump out at me, but a few are what I would consider game-changing. The proliferation of Chromebooks as a cost-effective way to get more devices in the hands of students coincided with the death of the netbook. The release of Google Suite for Education and the tools that the Chromebook integrated so nicely made using all those Chromebooks effective in a classroom setting, and they became learning tools rather than electronic encyclopedias. The last decade also saw the death of the traditional computer lab in every school. Outside of CTS, CTF courses, labs became mobile and much more accessible. The expansion of Wi-Fi coverage and the leveraging of school networks for more than just educational use began and now is an integral part of operations as well. Automation and social media became more a part of our daily lives and concerns over privacy took front and center. Another reflection. Cybersecurity is much more critical now than 10 years ago as data breaches are increasingly prevalent a data visualization of the world's largest breaches over the last 10 years show much fewer major breaches in 2009 and a substantial increase since then. The risk of cybersecurity and privacy breaches continues to escalate for a number of reasons. Number one, there is a rising volume and sophistication of cyber attacks targeting all organization. Number two, K-12 school authorities are increasingly attractive targets due to their valuable student and staff personal information and vulnerability to financial fraud, as well as comparatively weak security controls and practices. Number three, according to the 2019 State of Malware Report... The education industry is consistently in the top 10 industries targeted by cyber criminals. Number four, K 12 school authorities continue to increase their collection of student data and expand the use of technologies for learning and administration, which contributes to the rising complexity and interconnectedness of technologies used at school authorities. Another reflection, a study finds that between 2005 and 2017, the percentage of adolescents experiencing certain types of mental health disorders has risen significantly over the past decade, with no corresponding increase in older adults, suggesting a generational shift in mood disorders instead of an overall increase across all ages. Rates of adolescents reporting symptoms of major depression are up 52%. The rate of young adults experiencing serious psychological distress in the previous 30 days are up 71%. And the rate of young adults with suicidal thoughts or other suicide-related outcomes up 47%. There was no increase in the percentage of older adults experiencing these symptoms. The authors in this study believe this trend may be partially due to three things, an increased use in electronic communication and digital media, a reduced amount of sleep, often due to technology, and sharpest increase found after 2011. Therefore, it's unlikely due to genetics or economic woes and more likely due to sudden cultural changes such as how they spend their time outside of school. Another reflection. A few other technology developments over the last decade. Smartphones were a new device in 2010. iPhone 4 was months away from release. Android was still shaping version 2.0 of its software. App stores were in their infancy. Tablets were an emerging technology in 2010, and by mid-decade, we were all talking about BYOD. Now, one-to-one is within the realm of possibility. Social media was just emerging with Facebook and Twitter as a new application, still somewhat of a niche activity. It would be several years before social media was weaponized for political and other purposes. Instagram and Snapchat did not exist. Today, social media is integrated into much of what we do. Messaging apps such as WhatsApp have emerged over the decade. Streaming apps have significantly altered the way we access data. Another reflection. The decade has also seen significant changes in ATLE itself. In early 2010, the ATLE board created and filled the position of executive director as a quarter position. At the time, the primary board activity was management of the annual conference. Later in this decade, the position was expanded to 0.5 FTE. By 2012, the board had created a conference committee to manage the annual conference and the ProLearn committee to develop a professional learning program outside the annual conference. The board began to focus on strategic development of the association. As the decade closed, ATLE was hosting several annual events, the JTC Spring Symposium, ITET Unconferences, and Convergence Conference. Regional events are held throughout the year. A partnership with Texas Computer Educators Association has been forged. Other partnerships are being explored. The ATLE CIS Administrators Conference is in the planning stages for later this spring. A new podcast program, which you're listening to now, being put out by ProLearn. ProLearn manages the annual research and innovation grants program. All projects are designed to bring services and value to ATLE members and the larger community. ATLE has been an active partner in the IT for Dominica project for the past three years, providing opportunity for members of the community to look beyond provincial borders and to assist another education community trying to rebuild and form after a major disaster. The board now holds an annual strategic planning day to identify initiatives and projects to be considered. Of course, all of this brings us to the next question. What does the next decade hold for K-12 education and for ATLE? Let your mind wander and project the trends and impact of new technologies, artificial intelligence, robotics, 5G networks, e-sports, cybersecurity, digital learning resources and others which we may not even know about right now. We may not be able to fully predict the next decade, but we will continue to explore the convergence of learning, leadership and technology. Why not have a lunch with some of your colleagues and discuss a couple of questions? Number one, how much have we accomplished in the last few years? And number two, what should we anticipate and prepare for In the next three years. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast and for those people who shared their reflections through the ATLE newsletter that I was able to read out. Not only does ATLE and ATLE ProLearn share information on this podcast, they also host various online and in-person events in Alberta throughout the year check out the events calendar found on atle.ca. And if you would like to be part of this EdTech and Infotech Tidbits podcast, we would love to connect with you. Get a hold of us at prolearn at and we'll have you on the show. Thanks for listening.